This is Stena. Thank you for tuning in to the Identity in Me podcast, or In Me for short. I'm joined today by a consultant who's going to talk to me a little bit about his past and how he came into his work as a consultant. Okay, I'm here with John Saroof, who is the co-executive director of Essential Partners, which is a consulting firm that equips people to live and work better together in community by building trust and understanding across differences. Essential Partners helps civic groups, faith communities, colleges, and organizations build resilience, cohesion, and trust across deep divides of values, beliefs, and identities. In the turbulent times we're living in right now, I would imagine that a lot of people are reaching out to John for assistance in repairing and building bridges. Speaking of relationship building, I had a chance to literally break bread with John at a cookout recently. After just a few minutes of conversing, I knew that I had to get him on the podcast. John, thank you for joining me. Oh, Hadley, it's absolutely a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. No problem at all. All right. And so on the podcast, I go by Stena. Stena. Yes. I go by Stena on the podcast. That's my stage name. It's um, S-T-E-N-N-A? One N. One N. Stena. There's an, yeah, there's an interesting story behind Stena. It's my middle name, first of all. And uh, once upon a time, it was my dad's last name. Long story behind Stena. Thank you for uh, sharing that. I also have, um, uh, my middle name is also my mother's family's name. So I, my, my full name shares both sides of, that, of the family, which I, which I like. What is your middle name? It's Rahal, which is uh, some people in America call it or would pronounce it Rahal, oh. um, but it's Rahal, and it's um, uh, my my maternal grandfather uh, was uh, Rahal, and he came over from Lebanon uh, as well. Okay, and so speaking of Lebanon, I learned during the cookout that you are of Lebanese descent. Yes. Were you born in Lebanon? No, no. We're, uh, you know, the Christian Lebanese community is a fairly old community in America. So a lot of people came around the turn of the, uh, was that the 20th century? So 19, around 1900, uh, lots of families were coming over, some a little later, some a little bit before. So all of my grandparents are from Lebanon. Thank you for sharing. And how do you identify? Uh, so I love that. Um, there are so many ways to identify. Is there a particular um, angle on that word that you're interested in? So um, interestingly, um, a lot of my guests ask me that either during the recording or before we get on. And I tell them the answer as they see fit. So it's open-ended intentionally. I mean, I if if I were to list through my identities, the ones that are most important to me, it would be father and then husband and then uh, son and brother and uh, cousin. So for me, my tribe is really important to me, my clan, my family. Um, and then I would say that I am uh, if I can speak this way, I feel a child of God. Uh, so I'm, I'm a, I follow, uh, I'm, a, I'm a believer in the Christian uh, tradition, and that's an important identity. Arab American, I love being an American, and I love being a, a Lebanese American. 
Um, so that's uh, that. Both of those things are important to me. Um, a peace builder is an important identity to me. A uh, somebody who's um, yeah, so some a peacemaker. That's a maybe one of the most important identities to me. At what point in your life did that come into being? The peacemaking part was always some uh, seed in me. I think that there's a couple threads to that. I mean, one is just sort of my nature. I I, I always found myself in between people. Always found myself. Um, you, you know, navigating people who were in disagreements, friends, even in elementary school, it was just sort of who I was. And uh, I think later in life, um, it came from the fact that I was of Lebanese descent. I grew up in, so born in 1970. So by, you know, coming to consciousness, whatever, 1975, to, uh, is when the Lebanese civil war breaks out and the place just explodes and um, we get letters and phone calls from our relatives, cousins and uncles and aunts that are still there about how difficult things are, you know, as different family members sending over a little bit of support to help help out. And then um, you know, it's on the news all the time. Lebanon is exploding. Not unlike, I mean, if you if you're not as old as I am, then and you're sort of a younger generation, then it would be the same as what Syria is now, or Iraq, or Afghanistan. This feels like an endless war. It lasted for 15 years, and um, and the the family, my family, had to leave our our family home in the mountains moved to Beirut to, to be safe. Some uh, family from the other denomination, uh, from the Druze, took that home. Um, when the war was over, they decided to, uh, re- you know, reconcile it. I mean, they, the people said, okay, if you if you lost a house, you, you're welcome to come back now. And if somebody's living in that house, we'll build that family a new house. This blew my mind, the idea that, you know, you fight 15 years of war and then it's over and you say, okay, come back. Let's rebuild our houses. Let's let's figure out how to live together again. I mean, maybe it makes sense if you've lived together for 2000 years, right? I mean, like, so, okay, we had a, a blip of 15 years, but it still feels like a lifetime to me. And then people reconciling and that sort of stuck with me is, what is this? Rec- what is this thing of reconciliation? What is this thing of people knitting each other's lives, you know, our lives back together again? And um, I became fascinated by that. It was, you know, a seed I think that was planted so early, early in my life like that. What was at the root of the civil war in Lebanon? Um, you know, uh, there's so many things probably, but the the, the shorthand of it is that there are different um, faith groups there. There is the um, Shia Islam and Sunni Islam. Both of those groups, you might say, well, they're both Islamic. Yeah, but they've been fighting war. I mean, they, you know, there's a lot of tension all over the Middle East between those two groups, uh, and they both exist as very strong uh, populations. And there's Christians in uh, a very significant 
uh, Christian population in Lebanon. And then there are some other smaller sects. And the way the constitution is set up is that the different parts of the government are divided into those different groups. And it actually creates a kind of stalemate right now over in Lebanon. It's a horrible mess. They're really in a, in a difficult situation. Uh, but each one of those groups had alliances outside the country. And like so many little countries around the world, it is used as a proxy war between other larger powers from outside. So that's part of the influence. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of um, old uh, families that are, are part of uh, different alliances. So it was largely these different religious groups that, um, that were fighting. There were some assassinations of some leaders, and that really blew up what was a simmering um, conflict underneath, and then it became all-out war for 15 years. Now, you, I imagine, never traveled into Lebanon um, during this period of time, right? You were here I, in the United States. I was here in the United States. I was actually uh, tried to go study there in 1991 in college. The war had just ended, and they we had no embassy. Uh, so Americans weren't allowed in because we had no diplomatic relationship. So I went to American University in Cairo uh, for my year abroad, which, and it was interesting, that was it, while I was in um, the American University in Cairo, the American University in Beirut uh, was bombed and several people died. And so we, we were all high alert. Um, so maybe it was good that I wasn't allowed in, but I certainly missed, I missed it as an opportunity. Went later, certainly. Sure. Now I'm thinking about your propensity towards peace building, and thank you for the historical lesson on the civil war in, in Lebanon. And so I understand how in your own upbringing and hearing about that, how um, the tendency towards peace building would have um, been born in you. And I'm also thinking about how you identified originally as a brother. And so I'm wondering where you fall in the birth order. I'm a ba I'm the baby. Okay. All right. Yeah. I am too. And you? As you were talking, I was thinking, yeah, I've always had this tendency towards keeping the peace between people. I wonder where he falls. I wonder if he's the oldest, uh, middle or, but yeah, I was the youngest and in different um, situations I've been in, um, whether it's at home or at school, I always find myself wanting to bring people together. So I wonder if there's something to that. That's interesting. It might be. I also think that there's something to the fact that we must make good listeners because we don't always get to be the one talking because, uh, you know, we're the, we're the lowest on the totem pole. But uh, there is something to the fact that uh, when you have to be an observer and and have to listen because you don't get the, you know, the, the, you're not in the more powerful position, there's a way in which you begin to build awareness of the dynamics of what's being said and who's, who's speaking, who's not speaking. And I, yeah, there's, I think some, some roots in that. I'm smiling because I'm thinking about my love for wrestling when I was a kid, um, the WWF when I was growing <laughs> up and um, Hulk Hogan was the peacekeeper, you know, yep, he's the yep. real American fight for the rights of every man. And that was my dude, you know, like I used to rip my T-shirt. And if there was a fight, man, I was jumping in. 
Um, and sometimes I started some fights, honestly, right. because I wanted to get my Hulk Hogan on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, just the, the ways in which we're influenced is interesting. I grew up with all that stuff, too. I was a big, big fan. And that was part of what we did. My brothers and I did on Saturday morning. Yeah. Loved, loved it. Yep. Saturday night's main event. I didn't realize that I was much older. The theme song for Saturday night's main event initially was um, Obsession by Animotion. I didn't um, know it. I didn't know it. I, I tried to sing it along, but I wouldn't do it. <laughs> so when did you decide to go into consulting work? That's, that's interesting. I, I don't think of it as consulting work, but um, I think of it as, as peace building or, or um, uh, facilitation or... Um, you know, reconciliation work, but it is consulting work. I mean, you know, we consult to communities. I, um, I not sure exactly that it was a decision I wanted. I, I had a career as an actor. Um, I went off and I studied, um, I studied acting in, in college and then, uh, worked as a professional actor for about 12 years, studied Shakespeare, worked a lot, uh, worked out at Shakespeare and Company in Lenox, Massachusetts, did a lot of tours around the country, moved to L.A. for a while. And I loved all of that. Uh, I, I found the theater a deeply meaningful place of connection, storytelling, uh, exploration, creativity, you know, a kind of collaboration that just is one of the most exciting places to be people working creatively together to put something on for people. And then you add the audience, all of that. Just loved it. Um, but I was out in LA. I was um, auditioning for television shows that I would not watch. I was being sent out for uh, shows and auditions often. And this was right after nine 11 often for roles as terrorists. Um, really? Yeah. Wow. Right. And, and it was weird to me. I mean, it was, it sort of, it, it would, part of what it made me realize is that people didn't really know much about who I was, my identity, the Middle Eastern thing. You know, you're, you're Middle Eastern. Oh, good. Okay. Now I'll put you in my terrorist file Yikes. as a casting agency. Yeah. yeah. And I, you know, I don't really look like that. At the same time, my brother, who's a soldier, he's a Green Beret. He went off to war and I'm running around LA auditioning for, you know, roles as terrorists in these awful movies. So I decided I, you know, I just felt a different calling. And I, came back and went to grad school here in Massachusetts for dispute resolution, thinking that I would be a mediator. Yeah. And then I studied about this organization, uh, Essential Partners in grad school, in an intercultural conflict class or cross-cultural conflict class. And uh, I was amazed that they were here in Boston. I thought this work was amazing. And uh, it met that desire I had to bring people together to think about the deep work of healing and reconciliation. And I got a scholarship to go to a training. And then I just never turned back. I just kept going back and back and back and um, eventually found my way into the organization. And now I'm the co-executive director. Awesome. Okay. Um, you know, our stories are so interesting. You know, when you stop to ask somebody about their journey it's just always fascinating to hear how they got from one point to the next 
I want to rewind a little bit to your acting career because as I look at you, I'm like, I can't believe folks was asking him. I mean, maybe you look drastically different 25, 30 years ago, but I'm looking at you and I'm thinking you have a, a somewhat of a resemblance, actually a strong re resemblance to Larry Klein, um, who played yes. uh, uh, La Larry on um, Three's Company. I'm sorry, yes. Richard Klein. You could have sure. played Larry, man. I could have played Larry. Uh, I, I have. Uh, um, so I, I that is exactly right. I played more Jewish characters in my in my life than I ever played Middle Eastern characters. Yeah. Uh, I played more French or European characters. I played more old, you know, Shakespearean. Uh, and if you in, it, it's interesting in whenever I'm in a foreign country, people will often come up to me and and speak to me in whatever language is native because I just sort of look like I could be from just about anywhere, but certainly not the normal American look, you know. Well, you, you know, that's so interesting to me because when I met you a couple of weeks ago, I just saw a white man who's like over six feet tall, salt and pepper hair. And had you told me at the time that you auditioned for parts in plays or movies, I, I would have never connected you to any of the roles that others like plugged you into. It was, I mean, it's a fascinating thing. So being an Arab American is an interesting thing. So am I white? Yeah. I mean, uh, there is no, there is no box on the, you know, census or whatever, or, you know, and most of the things for Arab American. And that was part of an effort on behalf of some Arab Americans to become American, to become white. Right. I mean, like that was, at a certain time. And now there are also some that are like, well, no, I'm not white. I don't know what that, I don't know what white means, but I don't feel that, or that's not part of my heritage. And so am I? Well, okay. So I, I lean into the fact that this is my ethnicity. It's an important part of who I am. I don't deny that some people would see me as white and that white privilege accrues to me, right? Wouldn't, wouldn't want to deny that at all, because I know that that I have privileges and advantages because of my ability to blend into kind of wherever I am and just sort of seem slightly other, but mostly normal, you know, that kind of thing. So would you say that the world does not view you the way in which you view yourself? Yeah, I, it's a, I would guarantee that that's the case. And I would also say that different parts of the world view me very differently. I have had a lot of experience in in this country um with some people assuming that i'm sort of other um actually and i, I i've had several um instances where um black folk in in america especially in new york and some few other places pretty much assume that i'm not from here they they've said i've you know i had a hard time with a credit card once at a starbucks and um, they said, oh, in this country, you have to do it this way, right? Just assuming you like that. And that, you know, I, I've, I, I also want to say that I have none of, I have no trauma around any of it. So it's very different, very different than somebody else being asked, where are you from? That doesn't mean anything to me, but I do know that that's very insulting and alienating to other people. So I don't equate at all. 
And and so then we just make assumptions about each other. We have to in a way, right? Because we look at each other. I have to I have to figure out who I in in instance in like a few seconds I have to figure out who I am in relationship to you by a few little things that I see about you. Like how can I connect to you? How do I feel safe around you? How do I make you feel safe around me? What things should I know or not know? How do I, right? I mean, it's just human nature. So I'm picking up on a handful of very small cues and I'm making some assumptions. Half the time I'm wrong. And that's where we get into trouble. And that's where I make my living as a, as a peace consultant, because, you know, people make assumptions and then act out of those and it, and they're often wrong, but, but it is very much a part of how we socialize and how we, um, how we get along and how we figure out who we are in relationship to others. Thanks for listening to part one of our conversation. Be sure to tune into the second part to hear about the work that John is doing with Essential Partners. In the meantime, keep reflecting. Identity and me. Identity.